this feast of Saint Matthew and the last line of the gospel is one that always rings to me is I did not come to call the righteous but sinners because oftentimes sometimes in our fervor or even our piety we will tend to disqualify ourselves from the gospel and the gospel of course is intended for those who did not know God the gospel is intended for sinners the gospel is intended for the deaf and for the blind who cannot see God's action in the world. But if I see God's action in the world, if I hear God's word, and if I am not a sinner and I'm not conscious of any sin, then the gospel is not for me. And so sometimes we take ourselves out of the, uh, out of the equation, so to say. In one of the general congregations, so many decades ago, the uh, definition of a Jesuit was brought up again. And there was a, a question, well, to redefine what is a Jesuit, especially in, in the 20th century. That's how long ago that was. And the definition that came out was the Jesuit is a sinner who, despite his sin, is still called to serve Christ. And that always impacted me at the end. Because, well, isn't that us all? And certainly, me personally or any Jesuit cannot ever claim to not be a sinner. And to not be a sinner or to, to, uh, is to not recognize one's own sin. And also then to take oneself out from the, uh, from the gospel and the graces that come to it. The graces don't come because of my sin but the braces come despite my sin. And so the same we see with Matthew in his calling. Jesus calls him a, a tax collector, which had the most terrible reputation in ancient times. Yet he does not call, call him because he was a tax collector and the merits of being a tax collector. What astounds and why they keep this detail is he calls him despite being a tax collector. And so that call goes to all, especially the sinner, especially the one who's in need. And so we hear with that allegory, the ones who are well don't need a physician, don't need to go to the doctor, the sick do. And so only he calls, and his call is because we need him, because we are also sinners, we are also deaf, we're also blind to him. And there will be a day when we don't have that blindness or that deafness or that sin. And it'll be in the last day. Yet, and that's when the call will finish because we are with him. And there's no need to get closer because we are in communion with him at the end. I can't separate this day or at least this mass because in my mind I, I keep on thinking that I joined the over one billion people on the planet that saw the funeral of Queen Elizabeth. And so um, it's very poignant, and for me, it, these things mean a lot. Uh, uh, the pageantry and the ritual, that, yes, but also to, you know, to see what is going through it. And at the last moment, it really impacted me. It's the one that's been sticking with me uh, for the last uh, day. Uh, at the end, at the burial of the, uh, of the Queen, and there's a, a small moment or a ritual, I guess, 
when the, the symbols of state, of power, are removed from the coffin. And so up until then, that crown and that scepter and the orb would also are different symbols of power, both temporal power, earthly power, and spiritual power as well, that are all invested into the monarch, uh, are accompanying that monarch up until the moment of burial. And so for you know, the last week, that coffin has had that crown on it. it was, she still has her crown, even if she's not here with us. Yet at that moment, at the moment of committal, of burial, and solemnly the, there's a, a, a minister that comes up and ceremoniously removes the crown and the scepter and the orb from the coffin. And it was so interesting, the movement, in that they remove it from that coffin, is to say, when you don't take anything with you, and all earthly riches, all earthly privilege, all power, is useless at the end. And so there's that that is being communicated. You don't take this with you. And the second thing is when you see that, that movement is very slow and very solemn. The crown, the scepter, and the order are handed over to the bishop. And the bishop places it on the altar to communicate that that power which comes from God returns to God and waits for the next one. The coronation, and you know, I look forward to seeing a coronation, I've never seen one, and so uh, that will happen, will happen at the hands of the bishop. And no king is crowned without a bishop or without the spiritual power that acknowledges that. And so just as the crown is placed on a king or a queen or any monarch, on the hands of the bishop that represents the church, in ancient times, it would have been the Pope who crowned the emperors. There's an acknowledgement that by that same power that put that crown on that head, that same power takes that crown off that head too and receives it. And so it's very poignant to see that the three symbols of power of state were left on top of the altar. as to say it returns to the one who gives it to it. And um, certainly we see the one who will be the next one there to receive it. It was just something that, that kind of stayed on me, that, that movement and that saying that in ancient times or earlier times, they would have also said to the monarch or even to the pope in the time of his coronation when they used to crown the popes as well, sic transit gloria mundi, and thus the glory of the world goes away from us. We don't take it with us to the bottom, and it's of no use to us in the grave. Um, a nice example, I don't know if it was intended, but certainly is what was communicated to me watching that, uh, that funeral the other day. And something that keeps on going to my mind and wish to share on this day. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.